0: Welcome to maker skills exploring your internal toolkit with pj tanda and tom welcome back for our new year's special edition maker skills this show since some of you are out there making resolutions we thought it would be good to talk about shop organization as a skill you know because what else is it but before we get to that tanda what skill class is shop organization?
1: I think that shop organization is firmly in the middle at five.
0: Class five skill. That's a classic skill classification. Tom, what did you find in your research on shop organization?
2: I'll tell you what I couldn't find in my research. Nothing about shop organization because there is no history of shop or- organization. I heard years ago that the, the reason you put pots and pans in the same cabinet as everyone else and the reason you put plates and bowls in the upper cabinets like everyone else and the reason you put everything in your kitchen generally where everybody else puts their stuff is because of... I forgot her name.
0: <laughs> Martha Stewart?
2: Oh, no, not Martha Stewart. Um, oh, I just had it.
0: Betty Crocker?
2: No, the... Uh... Dear Abby. Oh, Julia Childs. Julia Childs. Yeah, Julia Childs, like, laid out how your kitchen should work. And it's brilliant because it makes a lot of sense. Now everybody has their stuff slightly different places, but you all have a silverware drawer. You all put your pots and pans low and in the bottom cabinet, and you all put your plates in your, and your bowls in the upper cabinets with your glasses in the corner cabinet or in an upper cabinet, that kind of a thing. I don't know how she spread that information so widely, Without the internet, credit to her. Spies are good at
1: disseminating information. That's true. She was a spy. They're, they're good at putting information out there and having people believe it. That's so right. I think I think it's from her spy background.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: that's amazing. She did she did an amazing job considering that everybody just used to dump everything in a hole, you know, in the middle of the kitchen before and just like hope that things didn't break. That's 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 uh, much better. I, I agree. Tom. Well, yeah. <laughs> I find it amazing that she took credit for that. Like, nobody else was using cabinets prior to her, actually. You guys should put your stuff in cabinets.
2: No. (laughs) What? I I don't think it was like that. It was just like, no, you put your plates in the upper cabinets because lower cabinets are... Like near the floor, and why do you want to eat off something that was near the floor? Now I understand that makes no logical sense for pots and pans because you need to cook in them and yada yada. But heat kills bacteria, so there you go. Seems to make sense. Actually,
1: kind of kind of along those lines. I remember going to a a friend's house. Actually, it was a friend's sister's house, and we were doing something. We were making it was around the holidays or something, and so we were making something, and I was able to just go and you know they were like oh can you get a measuring cup and i went to the counter and i just like pulled out a measuring cup or you know could you get us some more plates and i went to the drawer you know for the silverware and i went to the right cabinet for the plates and she was like this is kind of freaky how do you know how my <laughs> kitchen is arranged and i'm like well i've shared a room with your sister and you both had the same mom yeah and so if i just guess where it would be then that's where everything is because they both had organized their kitchen the exact same way their mother had. And so yeah. it was, you know, kind of – it was almost like an inherited organizational trait. And their mother was Julia Childs. And their mother was Julia Childs.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they neither one knew that, but
2: yeah. – when I go to somebody else's house and I'm in the kitchen, I'm looking for a fork. I mean, that's usually what I'm looking for in someone else's kitchen because I'm not cooking anything. I'll do, I'll kind of like, a pause. I kind of do like, I put my hand out and I do a little jazz finger thing. And then I go, where would I put it? And then I open the drawer. And if it's not there, I simply go, oh, you're your forks are in the wrong spot. <laughs> I close the drawer and I keep looking. Man, what are you doing putting mouse traps in their fork drawer? Why would you? This isn't the junk drawer. This is the utensil drawer. What's wrong with you people?
0: I, I would like to point out that while Tom was trying to describe his search for forks, he held his hands apart for a fork that was approximately two feet long.
2: <laughs> no, one hand. Oh no,
1: no, that was that was what he did to divine where the forks were. That was kind of a di- yes. A div-
2: it's a divining. Yeah, it's a like, divining finger. Prior shake.
0: to the divining part, prior to the fingers wiggling he held his hands apart like <laughs> yeah, yeah like like he was, was about deep. to grab a steak and he's like Where's I'm looking fork? for a fork I'm like that's like Paul Bunyan's fork who who has a fork that big
1: <laughs> you don't know you don't know who's over so so do you put pots and pans under your stove
2: uh pans under my stove
1: Un- under the oven um, is there a drawer under your oven in the drawer? to put or is that, yes, a, but, or is that uh, a broiler
2: it's not a broiler but you should be careful if just public service announcement it might be a broiler so don't put anything under there until you know. Uh we put like cookie sheets and pizza stones under the under the oven. But pots and pans is just to the left of the okay. oven. Okay. I was just I
1: I had some friends get in a, a heated discussion over that as well because and I think one of them grew up with an oven that had a drawer under it and one of them, yeah. you know, there was a broiler. And so they yeah. were like you can't do that. You shouldn't be doing that and you know and we're really <laughs> you know Really adamant about uh, about their decision to, to save their friend from putting uh, pots and pans under their no, ovens.
2: If you open it up, it's literally a plastic bucket in that drawer. At least mine is. So there's no heat getting down there.
0: You, you, you shouldn't put plastic in an oven. Just telling you right now, it's not going to end well.
2: <laughs> Unless
1: it's a sure. shrinky dink. So uh,
0: my, my family likes to put things in the stove, in the oven for storage but I do not and I have lived with people I've been married and had girlfriends and we didn't put things in the stove so then when I'm at my family's house and I turn on the oven I forget that there's stuff in there and sometimes it it goes badly
2: <laughs> yeah no that's a, that's you can't do that yeah i understand if space is tight but get rid of a get rid of a pan
1: yeah i was uh... When I went back back home after I'd moved away to college, my my dad had remarried and my stepmom had covers over the burners, decorative covers over the burners. Yep, mm. yep. And Mm-mm. I accidentally turned on the wrong, you know, I took the cover off of the burner um, that I was going to use, but then accidentally turned on the wrong burner. Oh, boy. Uh, and it just takes a minute to, not even, you know, it takes a few seconds right. before the, you know, the paint starts smoking on the uh, the nope. decorative burner cover. Well, I guess you're getting new covers today.
2: Nothing goes on the stove, on or off. Can't do it.
0: So Tanda, did you find anything in your organizational research other than um, kitchenware?
1: I found some organizational research on organizing and and organizations, and and then I realized we we're talking about shop organization, and so.
0: Uh, <laughs> I will take that as a no.
1: Five O C threes. I thought we could just talk about ovens long enough that I could get off the hook. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Did you Do you know how to run a 50C3 now?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah. As opposed to a member organization, it's actually a nonprofit organization.
0: We're not right. talking about right. organizations, okay? There's just the two of you, just stop it. Well,
2: we we are. No, we're not. Oh, you're telling us not to talk about that. That's them, exactly what I'm saying. Okay.
0: Yeah. We're, we're not talking about
2: organizations. PJ, what'd you find out, man? What'd you find out?
0: Well, once again, apparently I'm the only one that actually tried to do any kind of research for this segment we have I'm not sure why we have this segment so i decided to look up motivation for organization and i found somebody that actually parsed it out into let's say the highlights of like like basically no one thinks the organization is a bad idea but nobody really wants to do it so i found this website which shall remain unnamed and this is how they 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 put it Um, The first thing is you save time. When you're organized, everything is where it's supposed to be, so you're not standing there for like an hour trying to find the thing you're looking for. The second thing is you save money because you don't buy two or five of the same thing that you already have because you can find the thing the first time you're looking for it. Uh, You save energy because you're not wasting it looking for a thing that may or may not be there. You save brain power. Because if the thing you're looking for is in the same spot and you keep going back to that spot to get that thing, it builds up almost like a muscle memory. So you don't even have to think about it. You just reach for it and it's there, which kind of makes sense to me. Yes, Tom?
2: I don't think it necessarily saves energy. It really depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for running shoes, that's conserving energy as far as I'm concerned.
0: Do you keep your running shoes in your shop, Tom?
2: Well, sometimes.
0: That, that's my point.
2: I keep
1: my running shoes in my
2: shop.
0: Then you and Tom need to go for a jog. Keep everything in my shop.
1: I, I keep I keep everything in my shop. I keep my I keep my refrigerator in my shop.
0: Tanda has a valid point. Tom, you don't. So just you know, let's let's move on.
2: I have a refrigerator in my shop.
0: I don't have a refrigerator in my shop. My refrigerator is in the kitchen.
2: Ooh, you know it's been fun doing this podcast with you. We'll miss you, PJ.
0: Yeah, yeah. Would you like to continue with the list that I have, Tom? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Please. You have the refrigerator.
1: I have a kitchen in my shop. (laughs) Oh, my God.
2: (sighs) Hey, where do you keep your utensils?
0: Ironically enough, the next thing on the list is it eliminates stress. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) When you have clutter and disorder, it creates stress. So if everything is organized and clean... It's a stress-free environment. It also allows you to be more spontaneous because you're organized and you have more time. So when you have an idea for something, you can just jump on it. This one I find a little hard to believe, but it says you can socialize more because disorganization can be very isolating. And I think this is referring to people that are embarrassed because everything is messy, and they don't want the people to see their mess, so then they don't invite people over (laughs) because things are messy. I am not one of those people. Uh, I don't care if it's messy, even because I even even organized. Even when my shop is highly organized, it is still a mess, and people come over and they're still amazed. So that that's not like a thing for me. You have more energy because clutter drains our energy, which kind of kind of seems like it goes back to that other thing they said about saving energy. I don't know why they listed this twice. I guess these are very tired people. You can be healthier. Because when things are organized, it's easier to make healthy choices. I think this is a kitchen thing, like you two were talking about.
1: I, I think that's why he didn't want to say the website. Probably so. He got this right from Julia Child's website, I'm pretty it, sure. It
0: is Julia Child's. Uh,
2: the website is google.com.
0: Actually, it was Yahoo, but n- never mind. So
2: That's still a thing.
0: It allows you to – It's it's stuck. I can't change it. Uh, the next point is being organized allows you to be more focused because clutter is very distracting. I will agree with that. Clutter can be very distracting, but I also have attention deficit disorder, so I'm easily distracted. We have second last. Being organized helps you to feel more confident because clutter erodes our confidence. This to me sounds like somebody that did not get enough hugs. I am you know have too much confidence and I am literally surrounded by clutter And lastly, be a positive influence on those around you So yeah be an example for those that don't know how to be organized I agree with that that's that's kind of you know be a role model and uh, and that was it that was the end of the list which I thought was pretty long as far as motivation for organizing
1: I I would have to admit that I am suffering from many of those maladies right now. I I don't think I've ever, I've got my shop organized like I would like since I bought my melon lathe, because I basically took everything that was in half the square footage of my shop and moved it out to make the machine shop section, and all of that just got kind of piled around the remainder of my shop, yet to be really organized like I would like. And many of the things you read off, I I feel as a result of that.
0: Well, possibly what I'm going to talk about in another segment of this show could help you, Tanda. And also, so I've heard, we may have a product from Johnson's Hardware that could help you as well.
1: Oh, man, mm. that would be great. Do, do we still get a discount or did they kind of cut us off of the discount after the whole debacle with the legal stuff?
0: We get a discount?
1: I, I got a discount. You guys didn't get a discount. Tom, are you getting a discount?
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: Oh, man. So, did I miss an email? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It was to the Maker Skills, Maker Skills email.
2: Every week. They send one every week. You don't get them? I don't
0: check
1: that email. All right. I'm, 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 I, all
0: right. I got to go.
2: You just entered
0: the dealer's corner where bargains are currency pay yourself. And as proof that we do have at least one listener to this podcast, we have our very first, I won't say call in, but somebody sent us a DM for the dealer's corner. Tom, you want to give us the lowdown?
2: Yeah, this is from uh Elizabeth, it's PJ's mom, and she wrote in and said, That's not my mom's name. You at least get it right. That's that's our one listener, isn't it?
1: Oh, man. That's that's horrible when your mom won't even
2: use her real name when she's listening to your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are the worst. Hold on. What's your mom's name? Let me guess. Is it Kathy? Your mom's name is Kathy.
0: My mom's name is Linda.
2: Oh, I was close. That's not even... (sighs) Anyways. Anyways. uh, Emory Pickering from At Sigma Woodcraft on the instagrams he wrote in he said uh he this is his dealer's corner i was pursuing facebook marketplace which is notoriously unreliable up here uh this is in maine i like to search for tools on the off chance that someone is trying to get rid of a bunch of stuff i found one listing that was promising he replied to all of my messages and was super easy to communicate with rare i know we set up a meet and he took 75 bucks for the lot originally listed for hundred dollars the item I wanted specifically was a variable speed buffer slash polisher, but the lot came with some hand tools and sockets. Here it is. Adjustable speed buffer, two buffing pads, popular mechanics, 20-piece socket set with ratchet, two vintage chisels, a pollen chainsaw, not worth much, but the, but something to mess with, which is cool. I had one of those. I gave it away after I messed with it, and I couldn't get it working. Good luck. <clears throat> two monkey wrenches, 24-inch Tremont trimont pipe wrench it's a beast and all metal three smaller pipe wrenches a spud wrench a lufkin extension rule um the folding ruler but it has a metal ruler that extends oh i know what he's talking about it's in the last like Mm -hmm. yeah those are those are cool has like a little
1: brass or a little metal extension that's that last six inch piece or whatever
2: yeah, it's great for like measuring the inside of a hole or something. And some various bits and bobs and a vintage Eagle number 33 oiler can. That's a very cool deal. So
0: out of that entire list, the one thing that, that caught my attention was that potato wrench. I, I've I've never heard of a spud wrench before, but I, I'd like to see that.
2: It's got eyes.
1: Oh, yeah, they're great. I mean, if you've ever had a, had a spud get stuck in the pan mm-hmm. and you've you know, sprayed penetrating oil on it, and, you know, there's just no getting it out. It's spud wrench is the best. That happens to me all the time.
2: I do have a bone to pick with oilers. He mentioned the Eagle oiler, which, like, Eagle is the brand you want. I have a bunch of oilers, bunch of Eagle oilers, bunch of other kind of oilers. They all tip over. Like, there is not a good one out there that doesn't tip over and just leak its entire contents out all over my workbench. It's a big problem
0: i'm pretty sure jimmy did a story on that where he just uh, hot glued his oiler to a big piece of plywood like it's something that was like double the width of the base and then he couldn't knock it over because it was just bottom heavy and had a big base
2: yeah but then it's bulky
0: or maybe that was glue that might have been super glue i can't remember now
2: oh i think it was i think it was glue I think you're right. I think he super glued the superglue. It's very meta.
0: I mean, if it was me, probably what I would do is I would epoxy a magnet onto the bottom because a lot of those are brass. And then I would just... They're not brass? I have no, brass
2: ones. Uh, no, a magnet is a nightmare in a machine shop.
0: Right, but you didn't let me finish, Tom.
2: Oh. Uh, don't finish.
0: What I, what I was going to say is you, you put a magnet on the bottom with some epoxy, and then you get a piece of metal plate, and you just magnetic you know just stick it to the plate and then you know the plate you can remove if you need to and then it's bottom heavy and it won't tip over
2: what if the shavings get stuck to the plate
0: uh well if you take the can off then the magnetism would be gone and then the shavings would fall in the garbage hmm that's true
2: it's plausible i'll look into it
0: if you, you know if you want to read my master plan my manifesto is online for oilers
1: <laughs> that's the oiler, the, oh yeah yeah the oilers rules I've, I've i've heard of those
0: yeah, yeah, it's very popular among you know people from other countries.
1: Yeah, yeah, some yeah. I had a math teacher that was all about that. I don't know why. Uh,
0: I do have a dealer's corner as well. It's a uh, it's an interesting interesting story. So if you guys remember from last week, I had traded my 12-inch rotary table for an 8-inch rotary table with cross slides, and I got that from these two guys, Kyle and Sean over at f-a-g-g-fab on Instagram. They're kind of new to Instagram. They've been following me. I kind of made some new friends, and they saw me working on the Dayton belt sander that I've been restoring for a couple weeks now. And they said, hey, uh, we've got a Dayton belt sander over here. It's a little bit newer than the one you're working on. If you want it, you can have it. I said, what? Uh, Yeah, okay, sure. And I went over there. They're about 30 minutes away from where I live, and they've got a four-bay garage that's uh, two floors, and they've converted it. Uh, The bottom floor is a machine shop, and the top floor is a woodworking shop, and they showed me around. They have, hands down, the coolest metal-cutting bandsaw I've ever seen. I put up pictures on my Instagram for it. It is a Marvel bandsaw. that has a automated table the bandsaw has an 18 inch depth cut like 18 inch height Uh, the table itself has got to be like five feet by four feet and the thing is just massive and old Uh, had a cool story it came out of a school district Uh, i think it was sean's grandfather picked it up when they were about to throw it out and then he couldn't get it to work right so then he gave it to them and then they managed to get it working properly after they called the company that's servicing, Marvel Tools. And he said, they still make this. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what is it, like $30,000? And they're like, no, it's $35,000. dollars like, oh, 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 I need one of
2: those. Is it vertical or horizontal?
0: It is a – it's set up like a wood bandsaw. It is horizontal. Yeah. Um, but you're able to tilt – the entire bandsaw head 45 degrees if you want to make 45 cuts Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know the table stays flat that's cool it's got an intricate um pan system for like catching scraps but also like uh recirculating the lubricant i mean it is it is it is awesome and the thing i think it weighs like two tons i think they told me like 2500 pounds or something like that it's super super beefy and cool. it, it's one of those things that looks like like it could take like a missile hit and it would be perfectly fine. Like it's just, it's way overbuilt. The guys showed me around. They had two bridge ports. They had an Atlas lathe, a Logan lathe, and a South Bend lathe. They, they had built their own uh, rotary phase converter to run everything. Uh, the guys are super cool. Sean and Kyle. So show them some love. And they gave me one of those sanders that kind of looks like a bench grinder and it's got a disc on one side, and then the other side has like an upright one-inch belt. Got it home, and it was missing the little security key for the switch. So you know, you just flip the switch back and forth and it won't turn on. So I just stuck a screwdriver in there, and I flipped it, and the motor made a little humming sound. So I'm, I'm not sure if one of the bearings is seized up or what, but I gotta dig into it. But that was free, and if I could fix it, it'll make somebody happy, right? For sure. So that was what I got. And uh, I got some new buds. Uh, We might be uh, doing some things together because they're basically the only machinists I know close to where I live. Cool.
2: Very cool. That's the best part of any deal is when you get to meet new people and hang out with people. I sold the guy a sander years ago, and we went to Maker Faire together that year afterwards.
0: (laughs) (laughs) With those deals hard enough for you, you got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in, maybe we'll read it on air. Tanda, what is your personal history with shop organization?
1: I, uh, you know, our our shop growing up was, in a way it was kind of organized, and occasionally my dad would, uh, you know, like, incentivize us to, to clean the shop and kind of organize things, but, uh... About the only organization I remember in our shop that was kind of intentional organization was we had a lot of uh, glass jars uh, screwed underneath the, the shelves, which was, you know, pretty pretty common, you know, organizational hack yes. was to rivet or screw all of the lids from your old, you know, and back then most of the jars were were glass jars, not plastic jars. Baby food. But we had various... Baby food jars, yeah. You know, from court to baby food to, you know, all different sizes, all underneath the, the shelving in the shop. And the rest of the organization, we had a big pegboard in the shop where, you know, tools were, were hung in their spot. But they were, uh, you know, it, other than that, it was quite often, uh, you know, kind of kind of disorganized. And my dad was not one to putter in the shop. He would go out in the shop, he would make something, he'd put the tools up, he didn't just leave things out. But he spent very little time, like, just out, you know, kind of being in his shop, like a lot of us, just organizing, kind of coming up with new ways to make the shop nicer, whatever. It was just a place you went, you made something, and then you went back back out to work. So that's that's kind of... The organization I, you know, I grew up with, and then I've had many shops through the years, and I usually have an opportunity to reorganize when I move or I get more space. And usually I start out very organized um, if I've had time to move shops. But then there have been times where I have, you know, a good deal has arisen or, you know, some financial something has come up where I've moved shops just because of something coming up in my life. And it was not a time when I was going to move shops, like this one I'm in, the The deal came up. I was um, up at my dad's taking care of him before he passed away. And I drove back and forth, moved everything from a like 2,200 square foot shop to my current shop, pretty much overnight, over, well, overnight, like a straight, like 30 hour, no sleep, back and forth. Uh, with a U-Haul, and so it was less organized right from the beginning. But, uh, you know, I think that uh, I like organizing my shop. I love having it organized for all the reasons you mentioned. But right now, I'm in desperate need of just taking like a week and going through my shop.
0: You're going to benefit from what I have to say. But first, we're going to go to Tom.
2: The baby food jar thing was definitely something i remember from being a little kid who's had baby food jars hanging underneath a piece of piece of wood along the wall <clears throat> but my real journey with organization has come in the last 2 years since being on instagram and sharing all of my organizational journey with everyone and it is non-stop it never will end there is there's there is no end point i just every time i think i'm close I get a new tool, and I need to rearrange everything. Most recently was the bridge port. That takes up a, a fair amount of space. It's actually, I mean, it's like a f- uh, five-foot square area, maybe, give or take. It just caused everything to get shifted around in my shop. I recently started doing, uh, I have a French cleat along the entire wall of my shop, and I started doing like segmented boards with tools on them. So it's a tool wall, but, you know, the, the segments are only, I think, 24 inches wide and uh, just under four feet tall. And everything on that board lives together always. So if I ever have to move the tool wall, that segment just moves with it. Like that is that is forever there. And if I have to add anything to it, it's, there's a potential that I have to actually eliminate something, which is a good habit, I think. Uh, you can Too much stuff is a real thing. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, I struggle with it. But that's kind of like, I just keep organizing, and it's never finished. I never get everything done by the time I need to do it all again. I mean, currently, I'm in my basement portion of my shop. I have a two-car garage with a basement, and this is the complete under uh, bottom layer of bottom layer, bottom level of my house. And there's just clutter everywhere right now because things don't have a home. I started organizing. I pulled a bunch of storage off. I got rid of a lot of stuff. I get rid of lots of things. And it still just, it just accumulates. So I have a problem. I'm Tom and I'm an organizational holic.
0: I heard that they tell you not to take pills for that. Uh, It's optional. So what you're basically saying is, you you like organizing, but only in spurts.
2: Well, you know, we said it was a class five, but it's actually a parabolic uh, rating where I think I'm very good at organizing, but when you're this good, you never finish. Oh. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword.
1: Oh,
0: well, that makes perfect sense to me.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm very good at organizing all of my electronics parts and all of my little things in, in little drawers. I can't get to them for all of the clutter around them, but uh, but they are quite well organized and, uh, and logged in a spreadsheet, and, uh, and so I know just the drawer to go to if I can get to it.
0: That's what we call tiny parts specialization. So when I was growing up, of course, like everyone else, there were the baby food jars full of stuff that to my knowledge, were never actually used. I saw them there, and I don't think they were ever opened. There was always stuff in them. <laughs>
2: that could be that could be true. <clears throat> my
0: father had the basement and then he had a two-level garage, and there was stuff in them. But to me as a kid, it never seemed organized. It just seemed like, you know, it was always dark. you know, it was always like one light, like you had enough light to see, but not really that well. And, you know, he was a fan of the little uh, multi-drawer parts organizers, like the little plastic ones that had a little trays that you pull out and, you know, you label the front. And, you know, a lot of people still use those. But nothing, like a lot of stuff just got piled up and it got really, you know, kind of, it didn't seem to organize to me. So the organization didn't take place for me until I was a teenager. My father had his own silk screening business, Called Coast to Coast T-shirts, and as a kid, I didn't understand that that was actually his business. Like Coast to Coast T-shirts sounded like a big company, so I actually, in my mind, thought that this was like he was, like a like a, he had licensed it. Like he was a distributor in New Jersey, and like it was like this giant company, but it was actually just him. Like he that's the name he made up, and he would do Prestige
2: worldwide.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds big, you know, coast to coast T-shirts. It's you know one coast to the other.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: He would primarily do T-shirts for fire companies and police, and you know he was he was a sheriff's officer, so he was kind of hooked into all the the service industries. Fire companies, when they get a new truck, will have a party called a wet down, and it's where. Other companies will come with their trucks, and they will hose down the new truck for good luck. And there's usually, you know, a barbecue, and there's beer, and there's all kinds of stuff. Well, whenever there's a wet-down, they always have a wet-down T-shirt. And they would hire my father, and he would come and set up everything and silkscreen the shirts to order right there, run them through um, this this custom uh, heater setup that on a conveyor belt that he had built— and it would cure the ink and then it was like ready to wear in like 60 seconds basically is all it took and he had all these boxes of different shirt styles and sizes and everything and all of this packed up into a ford f-150 with a cap on the back so my father would hire me to come and work with him that was his way of like you know i'm his kid and i, I was too old for an allowance at this point so i had to work for money and it was my job to pack the truck Now, he showed me how to do it once. Everything that went in the truck had to go in a specific way. Otherwise, it didn't fit. And then, you know, like it was basically it was a regular cab in the front. So you couldn't put stuff in the front because that's where me and him were sitting. So everything had to be in the back. And unpacking and repacking this truck and learning how everything fit together uh, that was actually the, the groundwork for me to get my degree uh, from Harvard in packology, And I have since gone and got my master's in Pacology, and I have continued to use that pretty much everywhere I go. They,
2: they Harvard doesn't have a pack. H- uh How much did you pay for this degree?
0: That's not important, Tom. The, what's important is that I, I have the degree. Oh,
2: I'm sorry. I didn't mean to ask a personal question. No, I'm sorry. My apologies. I didn't mean to ask a personal question on the, on the podcast.
0: Continue. So coming to present day, thinking about pretty much what both of you said. When it comes to shop organization, your shop needs to be set up, if you think of your shop like a toolbox, like a toolbox that you take when you're going out somewhere to go work on something. The toolbox is organized in such a way that you can just look in there, get the thing you need, work on you know whatever it is you're working on and then put everything back in the toolbox and then you leave. Your workshop should be the exact same way. It should be organized so that whenever you need something, it's at reach. It shouldn't be in in a hard-to-get-to place because then it becomes inconvenient. So that's the first step is you need to organize your shop in a way that's almost intuitive so that when you need something, you don't have to look for it. It's just right there. The second thing is a lot of us have, which Tom sort of touched on, a lot of us have this mindset of acquiring things and then finding a place for them to go. And this is very, very common, but it just by its own nature creates a problem. If you're constantly getting stuff and putting things in, you never actually organize because you're just finding a space for it to fit. What you need to do is periodically remove everything from where it is, like pull it out into the driveway or just move it somewhere. And then once you have everything out, you can begin to group things into piles that actually make sense, like all your electronics in one place, all of your motors in one place, all of your paint all your finishes in one place instead of them being scattered into parts where you know they fit because that's what most people do. Oh, I've got a spot right here. Let me just stick that there. That's another big sticking point is in order to organize, you have to remove everything first so that you understand what you have. I did this a year and a half ago, uh, sort of like a spring cleaning thing, but I took everything out and I found that I had I, you know, about my my wheel addiction, I had five different boxes full of wheels. And I was able to consolidate that into one box of small wheels and then one container of big wheels. So instead of five different places, they were in two places. Uh, and it's the same thing with um, aluminum. I had aluminum spread out throughout the entire shop, scraps of aluminum, blocks of aluminum, just things that I would, you know, been saving to use, i consolidated all of that into one box. So when you take everything apart and then literally put it back together, in this case being your shop, you have a better understanding of what's there and you can organize it better. Tom?
2: I totally agree. Uh, If you've seen Marie Kondo on Netflix, she has you do that with your closet. You take all of your things out of your closet. One, you can actually see how much crap you actually have you, know, you may not realize how much stuff you're actually shoving into those closets. And this is, the same, this is exactly what you said. And then when you put it back, you can omit things and you can organize things much easier than trying to do it from left to right or whatever. Uh, you, you actually get it all out and then you can put things back. Uh, I want to add to what you're talking about is that you need to put things... Like you said, you, you get something and you, put, you, you, know, you just find a space for it, right? And that's not good. You need to find a home for it. Yeah. You need to find where it's going to live, right? That's what you're saying. I'm echoing what right. you're saying. And once it has a home, then it's accessible, it's usable, it's ready to go. And, and when you're done, it's incredibly easy just to put it back. Ever since I put my, like, my hand drills on a... You know, I cut little slots into a shelf, so you just stick them on there. I put them away in between using them like in between like during a project i'll hang them back up because it's more convenient than putting them on the table right next to me
0: yeah uh, i do the exact same thing and pretty much anytime you're going to find clutter in your shop 90 percent of the time it's because that stuff doesn't have a place to go right doesn't have a home
2: it, it affects the stuff that actually does have a home like it, it kind of blends in like 20 percent of that mess could actually be cleaned up pretty quick but it's just overwhelming sometimes well for me
1: a bunch of homeless tools roaming around one area of the shop will bring down the value of the organized tools nearby definitely
2: homeless tools living in an abandoned birdhouse
1: yeah yeah to- totally <laughs> no i definitely agree with the getting everything out you know if you have a set of shelves that you're trying to organize trying to organize them in place is is difficult it's better to just empty them or empty a whole section of the shop and you know I thought that would be you know what would end up happening when I emptied the whole side of the machine shop that I would gradually move tools back in but in an organized fashion but then I got some other big machines like the surface grinder and stuff that just displaced more area and more area and I've not not caught up but another thing that I think is worth mentioning is and I don't know if you guys find this to be true, but you have to be in the right mood as well. Because when you drag everything out and look at it, if you're in kind of that nostalgic, oh, I forgot where these were. I was going to do something with these type of mood. That's not a very good organizational mood. But if you're in the, I've got to get this organized. This stuff is junk. I should throw half of this out mood. Then you end up with much better results. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think you have to, Kind of pick your time or get into the right mindset, because if you're in that, oh, that's where this is and start tinkering with it mood, you may as well just stop trying to organize.
2: I think another area that I struggle with personally is I have a very nice singer sewing machine. It's an industrial machine. It's a, it's a full table. It was given to me by Derek from Malden at least a year ago, and it's a great machine. And I want to use it. I really want to use it. I don't know when I'm going to use it. And it's big enough that it kind of it kind of stands there and mocks me. And I, I know I should get rid of it. I'm not, I'm, you know, sell it, give it to somebody. That's not the discussion. But I think it needs to go, even though there will be a day that I want to use it. But I think I can find another one by then. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, is that something where you go, yeah, that needs to go? I know PJ's going to keep it. He's got pockets and wormholes everywhere in his in his place that he can keep stuff. But like, what about letting tools go? Like, just giving up on that. Eh, Giving up's a harsh term. But what are your thoughts? I
1: I don't. I've rarely regretted turning tools that I'm not using or something into money. I don't do it really often. Or or turning it into you know someone else's joy because it's something that they're interested in and are going to use. Right. Uh, But I do wait far too long. I mean, I'm, I'm looking across the room at a massive surface grinder that's being used as a table right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if and when I will ever get around to, you know, getting it hooked up. I don't think it needs restored. I think it just needs, you know, me to hook up the three phase to it, find a home for it, You know, buy some new wheels for it, do a little cleanup and you know, lubrication, but not anything major. But I don't know when,
0: okay? So, this brings us to uh, a second part that I was going to get to where we talk about actual storage. So, there's what's known as active storage, there's secondary storage, and then there's deep storage. At least that's how I have my shop organized. Everybody's shop is set up slightly different but the way that mine works is the active storage is the stuff that I'm constantly touching all the time, screwdrivers, wrenches, hammers, things that I need to work, okay? So those are basically all at, let's say, eye level or below. They're within easy reach. And then we go to secondary storage, which is stuff that's up on shelving. Now, the way that my shelving is set up, I have boxes everywhere. If you have a lot of boxes, it's very, very important that you label them clearly and brightly. So I have on most of my boxes right now, I have like a fluorescent orange tape and then black Sharpie so that I can look across the room and I can see the boxes. I know exactly what's in them. And it doesn't matter how, how much you have to write on there. Like you don't have to put like just wheels. You can put like 15 different things on there as long as you can clearly read what it is. I've actually changed since then because that masking tape has started to peel and I found a chrome polyester tape, which is super bright, but it doesn't like to take magic marker. It, it likes uh, those grease pencils. So you got to find the right kind of grease pencil to write on those. But it's nice and bright, and it's easy to read. So that's the important thing. The little punch-out stickers, the I can't remember what they're called, the label-maker things that are made out of plastic, those I find kind of fall off. I bought one, I've been using it, and the labels keep coming off, so they're not very handy at least the older ones, maybe the newer ones are better. So when you're in your active area, you have your active storage and your secondary storage. You look around and just see what's there that you haven't touched in a long time. Is there something that's in your shop, like in your active area, that you don't touch? And if you find that thing, that thing needs to go in deep storage which can be in a shed or further out in the basement or basically anywhere that's not in your way. And that's how you create more storage in your active workspace, is by figuring out what it is you're touching all the time, what are you touching some of the time, and what have you stopped touching. Now, getting back to what Tom and Tanda were talking about as far as like the sewing machine and then the surface grinder, if you don't think you're gonna use a tool like within the next five years, then, yeah, you probably should get rid of it if it's not going to be useful. But if it's something that you are gonna, you have a project for and you just haven't gotten to that project and that's going to take you five years to get to that because it's something big, then you need to keep that thing because five years from now, you don't know what the access is going to be. It might take you another five months to find the thing, and then it might cost more than what you paid for the original part you have. So just keep those factors in mind. It's better to store something if you know you're going to need it. If you, there's absolutely no chance, then just get rid of it. You know, you could always find another one. It just might not be as convenient.
2: So deep storage, you might need to clarify this, but I do not really have anything in what I think you're talking about as deep storage. If it goes to that category in my brain, it leaves. It's gone. It's sold. It's thrown out, whatever. So what, what would you put in deep storage that you need to keep?
0: Okay, like right now in deep storage, I have a scroll saw. It's a very cool scroll saw. It has a, uh, the entire head of the scroll saw tilts to cut angles. It has a built-in uh, air compressor to blow the dust out of the way. I have scroll sawed one thing since I got it, mm-hmm. but it's an incredibly cool vintage craftsman scroll saw. I've never seen another one like it. Neither has anybody else because a bunch of people offered to buy it off me when I showed it on Instagram. So that thing will never go anywhere. I will keep it, even if I never use it again just because it's a weird tool. Uh, That's in deep storage in the dungeon. Hmm. Right Mm -hmm. now I have four Walker Turner benchtop drill presses in deep storage waiting for my attention. One of those is Bernie Solos that I have to restore soon so that I can— Uh, Get it ready for him. I'm not sure exactly when we're meeting up, but that's another thing. I don't have that in my active workspace because that's a future project. Like, you know, basically, Bernie and I can't meet up because of COVID right now. So there's no real pressing time constraint for me to get that done. So it's in deep storage.
2: All right. I have another storage category. Maybe I don't know if inventory is the right term, but I have a bunch of bins with things I've ripped out of power wheels and laptops and things that I'll probably only use 10% of them at some point, but you kind of need a hundred percent of them to find the 10%. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of that stuff and that, you know what, casters, wheels, Mm -hmm. that's the same thing. Uh, and I do have a couple boxes of wheels, but I have trimmed that out, too. And actually, I'm looking at some that I'm probably going to just throw out. But that stuff is can be clutter. And the worst part is when it outgrows the box it's in and you have to start a second box or, or it just kind of sits next to the other box that's on the shelf. That's always a problem, too.
1: I, I think that determining whether something is legitimately something that you're going to use in the future, that you have a really high chance it's going to get used in the future versus something that you're keeping because you don't want to throw it out. And it's not something that's really sellable or, you know, it's just, you just feel bad about putting it back into, you know, the waste stream or throwing it out or putting it at the curb. And when you mentioned the jars, Tom, I was trying, I was reflecting and thinking, you know, I think there was one jar of rivets and one of hose clamps that I remember getting stuff out of almost all of the others were like something that had been taken apart and there were some little screws or brackets or something that, that my dad didn't want to throw out, but they sat in those jars for 30 years. The jar never was unscrewed from the shelf. And you know, there was this jar that was this little cache of uh, bits and pieces of a chainsaw that was taken apart and, and rebuilt. And it was just the, You know, it was the parts that were broken that came off of it. And it was new parts were put on. The broken parts were worthless. But rather than throw them out, you put them in a jar and they sat there for 30 years.
2: All right. Let me get deep for a minute here about exactly what you just talked about. I have a collection of that stuff, that category. And every so often I purge a lot of that stuff. I don't get rid of everything, but I go through and I go, I'm never going to use that. I'm never going to use that. And every so often, after I get rid of something, the inevitable, oh, I wish I kept that, happens. You've experienced this? Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, definitely. Okay, do you think that is an actual, do you think that's reality? Or you are just saying that and thinking that because, is it more superficial? Like, do you actually miss that thing because you could use it now? Or are you only doing that because that was one potential solution to the thing you're working on instead of just moving along and and finding the other thing that you need to use? Let me answer that.
0: So what you're doing when you're storing up all these parts is you're building an inventory. That's what you're talking about. You have a parts inventory. Yeah. When you purge an inventory, it's still in the back of your mind that you had grabbed those parts. And basically what's happening is you're purging things before you've used them. And then when it comes time to use them, they're gone. The example you gave about how you have one thing, like you have a box of things, and then you have to make two boxes of things. So that's not a bad thing. What that does is you just have to subdivide. So for instance, mm-hmm. when I was talking about the wheels, okay, I have two boxes of wheels now. Well, one box is actually all small wheels. And then right. all the all the other boxes, big wheels. So it's not like... They're all jumbled, like they are organized now. So I know if I got big wheels, I got to go to the other box.
2: Okay, so I agree. But what I'm, what I'm more specifically talking about is you purge stuff, which means you just saw it all. And it's, like you said, it's fresh on your mind. And then a you're working on something and a problem rises. And you're going through your Rolodex of things that you have and don't have and possible solutions... Do you think that the only reason you say, Oh, I wish I kept that is because you just recently saw it. And if you hadn't just recently saw it and it was still on your shelf, you would not have thought of that as a solution. No.
0: Ugh. I, I don't think so. I,
1: I, I think that can <laughs> I think that can happen. I think that can happen that because yeah? you've just recently seen it, it's yeah. it's kind of, you know, top of mind, and you think, oh, that was that was a a possible solution to the problem i have right now and then of course because of the novelty of having just thrown it out it makes it all the more memorable psychologically right and and i don't know that it's you know necessarily you know if you moved it three times in the past and reorganized it three times in the past then the value of having it versus buying a new one or using something else to solve the problem is probably lost because you've spent all that time thinking about it and moving it and reorganizing it and you probably should have just got rid of it or put it in a garage sale back back when. But it certainly, yeah. you know, it certainly makes it all the more memorable when it's, you know, right next to, you know, thinking of it, throwing it out, and then and then wishing you hadn't.
0: Totally, I agree with Tanda, PJ. You're wrong. Thank you. We're talking about two different things. So what what you're talking about, Tom, is um, active memory, like you you're actively seeing something, and then because it's gone, it's still in your mind. What I'm talking about is a parts inventory, meaning that you know you have it. Because you know you have it, even if you threw it out a month ago, you still remember that at some point you had picked it up. That's what I'm talking about. Not that you just saw it and then that is the reason that you want the thing. I'm talking about, right. you got. let's say you picked it up five years ago and then you you just threw it out. Well, it's the same difference as if you picked it five years ago and you still have it. Somewhere in your mind, you know you have that part. And this is happening to me a lot with the auction stuff because I am picking up things at auction that are missing pieces and then I'll pick up a box of stuff at another auction and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, hey, I have the other half of this from another auction.
2: PJ, does this ever happen to you? Do you ever go to an auction and you're like bidding – even maybe even put a bid on a lot that you didn't win – but you already kind of invested your brain into the things in that lot. And then three weeks go by and you're in your shop and you're like, didn't I buy that? And, and like I, and then you start looking for it. Has this ever happened to you?
0: No, because the way that I look (laughs) at everything at auctions, um, most of the time, if there's a box of stuff, when I say a box of stuff, I mean, you're looking at like probably 50 things in a box. Yeah. There's probably two things in that box that I have identified as valuable. The other forty-eight things, I don't know what they are. I really, I have no clue because there's no like you don't know until you have time to unpack it. The uh, auctions are, in many ways, a a pressure pot. You have a limited amount of time. You got to make snap judgments in order to get a deal because everybody else is going. Okay, you're on a timetable. Right.
1: I've done that with shopping carts though. Online shopping carts. I'm really considering getting. You know, you're getting ready to make an order from a particular online vendor. And you think, you know, while I'm ordering from them, I should save on shipping and go ahead and put these extra two or three things in. Mm -hmm. And then before you buy it, you go, that's silly. I should just buy them at the point when I need them. And you take them back out, but then you think, I thought I I bought those. I thought I ordered those. Those should have come in with that other stuff.
2: I, I did this not long ago. I was talking on Instagram about wanting to put down like rubber mats in front of my lathe. And, uh, Jacob, uh, who knows on Instagram, it, he, he, works at, I think he works at a Home Depot still. And he sent me a link to a daily deal like the next day and it was perfect timing for these mats. So I jumped right on. I put two in the cart and like three weeks later, I'm like, where are those mats? And I never bought them. I never bought them. <laughs> I never, I, I like, I wanted to buy them. I put two of them in the cart. Like, I don't know what happened. Uh, I don't know what happened. P j probably texted me, and it just like threw off my whole entire month.
0: Probably.
1: my sister was uh, I can't remember what it was, some kind of some kind of craft uh, craft something that her and my uh, great niece were thinking about doing. And so uh, and this was probably not unique. This has probably happened to many people. She had one of, you know, from each of twenty different vendors or something ridiculous in her cart because she was comparing all of them. And then her husband went to buy something on Amazon and added it oh, to the cart no. and just bought it. Uh. And so they were making like soaps and perfumes or something. And they had this huge abundance of like soap molds and, and natural oh perfumes or whatever it was that they were doing because they had, uh, they had left them all in the cart as they were comparing all of the different ones. And then her husband went and bought something and bought all of them along with it.
0: Tom, I know you, you do that a lot because we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Somebody had, told you about something and you bought it like four days later and the price had jumped up like $25. I don't remember what it was, but I remember you talking to me about that where you, you had something and then you didn't get it on time. And then by the time you grabbed it, it was like it, the price had jumped up. That That's something that I'm learning about Amazon. Amazon, the prices yeah. change daily on the same mm-hmm. thing, you know? Um, ironically enough, uh, this is kind of off topic, but, you know, I've been looking for those batteries for my grinder, my Milwaukee grinder, since I got the charger, and I've been hunting them down on Amazon. I've been waiting for the price to drop, but while the, I have, like, Honey tracks the prices, and it'll tell you if they go up and down, but the thing is, when the price drops, what you don't realize is a lot of those times, there's no free shipping because it's not coming directly through Amazon it's through some third party and the shipping jumps the price back up beyond what it would be if you actually paid more and got free shipping mm. so short version is I decided to buy it off eBay <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I got batteries coming they should be here by my birthday well second darn I think it's time for one of them old timey commercial energy loops and stuff Hello, this is Chet Denton Johnson's Hardware. For our Organizing Week special, we've brought in our guest, Hans, to talk about our import product. Ja, yeah, hello, this is Hans. I'm here to talk to you about the Spragonizer, direct from Norway, where I come from. Yeah, I'm Hans, from Norway. All you need to do is take the Spragonizer for a pile of junk. You spray it on, and boom, it is organized. It is the best product ever. Buy the Spragonizer now. Chet will tell you a price. I don't know, American. Thank you, Hans. For only $249, you too can buy the Spragonizer. Contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Tanda, what skill goes well with shop organization?
1: I think that uh, cleaning, cleaning goes well with organization because uh, th- that's usually what drives me to doing a really good organization of an area in my shop is when I I start looking for something or I start digging around to try and find something and I realize that, uh, you know, all the accumulated dust and junk that's just hidden between boxes and under shelves and and so I think it's uh, they they kind of go hand in hand. So shop shop cleaning and shop organizing are often done right at the same time.
2: I agree with that, Tom. You know I'm not sure. I'm not sure. There's a lot of things that go hand in hand with that. Uh, productivity, or um, what's the word I was looking for?
0: Productivity is a word, Tom.
2: Uh, I'm aware. I'm aware that it is a word. In fact, productivity is probably the best option. It bothers me that I can't think of the other word.
1: Maybe it's in a drawer that was unlabeled.
0: That's very possible.
2: Exactly.
1: Sometimes I'll put words in, in drawers and forget to put a sticker on them.
2: Yeah. I, you know, your workflow is heavily impacted by whether or not you're organiz, organized. Uh, and, it, it, or you know, poor organization can even get in the way of getting ideas out of your brain. That's always been a problem for me. So I'll, I'll go with productivity. I don't like it, but I'll take it.
0: With Tom's dissatisfactory answer... I'm going to put mine in, which is cataloging. You're going to be organized. You need to catalog so that you know where that stuff is because you can organize stuff and not really remember where everything is. So if you can make a list or a map or some signs, some labels, anything, be sure you catalog what's there so that the organization didn't go to waste.
1: Yeah, I actually catalog a lot of my small parts and, and even my boxes, which is an odd thing that I do organizationally. I have a lot of small shelves and shelves of small boxes, and then, I don't know, dozens of the little parts drawer cabinets. And none of them have, are labeled with what's inside of them. They're all labeled with just a spot in the shop. So it's shelf one, box two, or it's organizer drawer set, you know, A, drawer number 75. And then I have a spreadsheet that has what's in it. And people think that's silly because it's just like drawer B75. But I remember where most things are. So if it's something I use fairly regularly, I kind of know the general area. I look through the front of the drawer and I can find it. But if it's something that would be more in what PJ would refer to as deep storage, something that I save and I may not need for a long time, then I can just search the spreadsheet and find it. And it tells me, oh, that's in drawer D70.
0: Ironically enough, B75 was the winning number when I last played bingo.
1: <laughs> yeah. 440 screws, eighth inch long.
0: That was the prize. That's really bizarre. Tom?
2: So, I, this isn't a skill, but I'm, I'm changing my answer. Uh, systems engineer, I think, is the right job. But you need, to, when you're organizing things, you need to think of it through the eyes of a systems engineer, where when you're in the kitchen and you're at the stove, all of the things that you use at the stove should be right next to the stove, not on the other side of the kitchen. This is obvious, right? So when you're organizing your shop, things should be in a logical space. So whatever skill that is, that's what it pairs well with.
0: That's that's kind of what I said about using your shop like a toolbox. Everything needs to be yeah. within hand's reach of whatever area of the shop you're in.
1: I think that's something that's... Uh caused me some problems this year because with the setting it up where I have kind of the machine shop side and the other side of the shop, I don't have two sets of tools for everything. So it seems like the tools are in the opposite side from where I want them to be. And then not only that, I did a lot of kind of remodel work and and out of the shop work, installation stuff. And I'm not at all set up to do that. All of my tools and stuff are in, you know, like rolling tool cabinets and stuff in the shop, not in tool bags and easily portable things. So then I was taking tools out of my tool, you know, my normal positions where the tools would be, throwing them in bags and taking them off somewhere and running back and forth. And then, you know, didn't get around to taking them all back out of the bag and putting them back into the toolbox. And so I think that that's, Part of my organizational problem is kind of splitting what I do into three or four different areas.
0: So my first thing to mention here, Tanda, is that's what auctions are for. Buy a second and third set of tools. My shop is only 19 by 14, and I have double or triplicates of the tools at either end of the shop for that very reason. Just so I don't have to walk an extra eight feet to go get something, I have another set of tools at the other end. So just grab a second set even if it's a cheap set. Grab it at an auction and make that your go bag. Grab another set, make that the other end of your workshop. Why? See, you're just you're causing yourself problems by just not getting another set of tools.
1: It wasn't really intentional to like get organized to become, you know, a handyman service. It was just some just a, came up a lot during the course of the year. And in some ways I I Intentionally didn't try to get organized to do that because I didn't really want to fall into, you know, just making my living repairing people's broken plumbing and stuff.
0: This comes with a, probably a future episode a skill called adaptability. You got to be able to recognize where you're at and adapt. And you didn't want to adapt, and that's why it ends up creating disorganization.
1: Oh no! So, I, I had I had different directions I wanted to go, so I didn't didn't want to adapt to that direction. I wanted to avoid avoid that direction, so I'm kind of punishing myself, yeah, so as not that, to fall into just continuing to do that and not liking it.
0: That's called self sabotage.
1: Yes, I'm good at that.
0: I think there's that's that's a running theme for many makers, self sabotage, especially when you don't want to do something you know you need to do. It's also part of procrastination
1: hey are you gonna fix that
0: tom i understand there's something that needs fixing in your shop you want to tell us about it
2: yes and it has everything to do with what we've been talking about i got a laser a while ago i made a beautiful beautiful cart for it with a water reservoir in the back and four drawers at the front and storage for like small sheet goods on the sides and it's got walnut trim and everything and it's beautiful and uh i haven't really used my laser much in the last few months i thought the cart was the solution i thought the cart was the home but it's not the problem is that the laser needs ventilation and especially with it being winter right now I don't really want to open up my garage door and shove the hose out the garage door so I'm ready I'm ready to give it a proper home and I think it's going to be in the basement portion of my shop so behind me you guys can see the the window I have my basement is underground except for the top foot and a half right it's got window wells outside and there's a window that's about a foot by two feet Now the window itself actually can come out. I can There's like a tab and I can pop the window into the house. So if I take that out, how do I get the hose to vent through that window? That's what I need to fix. I just thought of
0: something, Tom, while you were describing the window. And I, I know that the laser is up against the garage door right now. And I'm gonna suggest an alternative solution. Okay. What if you cut a hole In the garage door and created a port that you could attach but you could also close off to keep it insulated
2: we have a fear of needing to move at a moment's notice so personally that doesn't work for me but that is a good solution i mean as long as it's closed
0: off i mean it's it's think of it you got a plate on the outside and a plate on the inside okay
2: Totally, but resale they would make me fix it.
1: I, I would say, uh, and I actually did this for someone who bought a laser. I uh, I took out their window and measured the frame, and then made a metal plate with a hole in it that fit in exactly to the, where their window was. And then they were able to take their take their window and set it aside for later. But then they had a piece that uh, actually slid in in place of their window with like a four inch hole. And I've moved my laser now. I think I've been in three three shops since I uh, bought my laser. And even in the shops where I was just leasing the shop, I just told the owner I'd like to put a little hole in the wall or you know in, near the back door that is a dryer vent. It is exactly the size of a dryer vent. I'm going to put a flap on the outside that is a dryer vent flap, you know, rain flap for it. And then I've always had one of the, and you could probably find one of these if you don't already have one, Uh, one of the, uh, mine's a Woodtech brand, but there are other, you know, brands for dust collection, just the centrifugal motor for dust collectors. And then I hook that up to the back of my laser and to my four inch line to exhaust the laser. And that's how it's always been hooked up. So right now I have a workbench with the Woodtech fan built into the workbench. And then a four inch duct going over to the laser and then it runs a few feet and goes out the wall to a dryer vent. Hmm. But, uh, but I did do that for someone that was setting up a maker space in a leased spot. And so we just replaced the window.
2: Okay. So, uh, this window comes out really very easily. I just got up and checked. So I should just, you, you think making the actual window, like replacing it even with plywood, it really serves no purpose. There's not almost any light that comes through the window, so it doesn't need to function like a window. But even putting like a plywood with a with a maybe a rubber gasket.
1: Yeah, they were in an area that was uh you know, kind of prone to uh, a high traffic metropolitan area, let's say. So they were they were mm-hmm. concerned about someone being able to remove the window from the outside and get into their space. Oh. And so we made it you know, where it latched in just like just like the window. But I mean you could you could screw it into the aluminum frame or, you know. There, there are ways you could attach it where someone couldn't get in from the outside, or just make it latch like the window.
2: Yeah, I think I can secure it, and, and I'm not. <clears throat> I'm more worried about a raccoon than a person. You're not going to get through that window, even if you got to be pretty small.
1: Well, he'd have to. He'd have to come through the dryer vent and a wood tech blower.
2: Right. Okay. So, but instead of cutting a hole in the glass and putting the vent through that just replace the window
0: yeah i would like to point out that mark spagnolo just did a story a couple days ago about a squirrel coming down it was either an exhaust vent or a dryer vent and he had to cut open the tube because his his he was not getting suction through that tube and he couldn't figure out why and that is that is exactly what happened it was like a squirrel or a mouse or something and he's like i'm not even going to identify what it is it's just going in this bag so. I
1: I had I, I was just about ready to leave for a trip actually, and I I ran home to pack a few things before heading out on a on a business trip, and I heard this horrible noise in the cabinet over my you know you have a a range hood over your stove, mm-hmm. and you have the little cabinet over the range hood, and there was just these noises coming out of the range hood, and there were two squirrels that had. Crawled into the vent on the top of the house, and of course, then they fell down in and couldn't climb back out of the range hood. But there was because it wasn't exactly a line, there was a little bit of flex pipe that went from the exhaust hood up to the you know the vent out of the roof of the house, and they had chewed their way out of that. But then they were trapped in the cabinet above the range hood, and I spent hours trying to to get these squirrels out of the range hood because i didn't want to like reach in there and i probably could have put on some heavy leather gloves or or something but i was trying to coax them out and i put like a ramp down from there with the you know onto the cabinet and put some food out there but of course they were so terrified they weren't coming out um i thought well maybe if i like take a spray bottle and spray them a little bit they'll like get scared and run out and so run out of the open door no that just like made them mad and made them hide. And so I finally, uh, I went over to a friend's house and said, uh, you know, I've got to get, I'm going to miss my flight. I'm trying to get these squirrels out and I don't want to just leave them, you know, running amuck in the house while I'm gone. And he said, well, I've got one of those, uh, ball grabbers for getting golf balls out of like a <laughs> pond or something. <laughs> and so uh, I ended, I ended up uh, like reaching in and, and, grabbing a squirrel he was perfectly fine and i had him by the, you know with this little uh you know like little pincher ball grabber thing for getting your ball out of uh out of a water hazard awesome. and carried him carried him outside but uh yeah that was that was pretty comical
0: so tom <laughs> is in the abandoned birdhouse and <laughs> Tandas in the abandoned squirrel nest <coughs> squirrel
1: abandoned <trap>. squirrel <laughs> squirrel nest, yeah, no, I was the able to trap. I was able to reach in well, I reached in and I got the first one, and i as I was carrying him out, of course, the second one came running down the the ramp that I made out of a two by four onto the counter and out the door.
0: This brings up an interesting story. I was living in Newark, New Jersey, on the third floor of a brownstone with my fiance. We had a cat and a dog this was it was just luck of the draw. I happened to be homesick. I was probably about maybe 22 at the time, maybe 21. I was homesick from work. I'm in bed and it was it was, you know, the floor, top floor of a brownstone. Everything was on the same level. And I hear a ruckus. And I'm like, "Oh, what is the dog doing now?" And he was a very good dog. He didn't normally make any problems. And then I hear the cat meowing and then the ruckus gets louder. And I'm like, "Oh, crap." So I get up. A squirrel had chewed a hole through the ceiling in the kitchen and fell down into the apartment. And all of the blinds were drawn because I was sick and bright lights are not good for me. And it was running all over the place, all over the curtains, like all I saw was this shadow, like this ninja squirrel going all over the place. I, I'm i not thinking, I, like I, I was sick. So, you know, like I'm in my underwear. All I can think about is that there's a rabid squirrel. What if it bites the dog or the cat? And the only weapon I had in the house was a boken, which is a wooden practice sword that I had from Aikido. So I grabbed that, and I'm chasing this squirrel all over the apartment. And there, there's like no way for me to really grab it or do anything because the dog and the cat are chasing after it also. And it runs into my bedroom, and somehow or another, I think it ran up, like it tried to run up the ceiling and then it fell on the bed. And then as soon as it hit the bed, I just started to whack it with this, basically this wooden sword. And it's bouncing because it's on the bed. So I'm like whacking it and then it bounced and then it whacks again. And I I don't know. I gave it like five whacks and then it bounces onto the floor and it's not moving. And at this point, my dog. Wait, what were you doing on the bed? I missed that part. What were you doing on the bed? Whacking the squirrel. With, a, oh, with okay. Yeah, whacking the squirrel, Tom. Get your mind out of the gutter.
1: <laughs> Haven't heard it called that before. Whacking the squirrel. Yeah. PJ was whacking the squirrel.
0: <laughs> so it, it falls onto the ground, and then my dog takes this as his cue to lunge and eat the squirrel. So I had a Chinese sharpei I grabbed him, but of course he still lunged ahead like another foot because his skin is loose because he's a Sharpe. And then I got him and the cat out of the room And then I close the door and then, you know, like I call my landlord and I'm like, there's a squirrel, you know, in in here. What do you, you know, you need to come get it. And he goes, well, where is it? I said, it's on the floor. And he goes, well, you need to get it in something. So I go back in there and the only thing I had was a Coca-Cola soda box, you know, like a six pack soda box or I don't know, 12 pack, whatever those boxes are. And so I'm on the bed looking down at the squirrel. I've got the box on the floor And it's just not moving. Like, it's still alive, but it's just not moving. So I've got the box behind it, and I put the sword in front of it, and I'm just trying to nudge it to get it to go into the box. And every time I nudge it, it goes... And it's making this, you know, this really, like, unhappy, unpleasant sound, like, you just beat the hell out of me. I am not moving. But eventually, you know, I got him into the box, and then I put a brick on top of the box so that he couldn't open it back up because it's just a little thin soda box. And then my landlord came and got it, and then I think he just took it down the streets of the park and let it go. But that was that was like – that was my home invasion by squirrel.
1: We've, we've, uh, invasion. My, my friend has been trapping skunks at one of his rental properties, and he's got this tube that's like a four-inch tube that he's been putting sardines in. And I think as long as he keeps putting sardines in it, he'll keep catching skunks. But every time he catches <laughs> one um, – you know, the skunk can't, it, it's inside this tube, so it can't spray you. But then you have to get it out. And so we've been taking the skunks out to this great big open area that's, you know, kind of not not too far, maybe a mile from where he's trapping them, like by this cemetery. And then literally like taking this tube and swinging it forward and stopping really quick. And then the skunk, you know, shoots out maybe maybe it kind of grabs and you have to do it a couple times <laughs> it's a stink but rocket like, like tossing tossing skunks out of a tube into a field and then they land and they they kind of look around like what in the hell had just happened <laughs> and then they go running off into the uh you know into the arroyo or whatever yeah it's uh it, it's a new sport skunk tossing is this a pvc tube That's awesome Tanda? no it's a metal it's a metal tube with like a little uh You know, one side has a little gate that raises up with like a little trip on it, and the skunk goes in forward, and then it hits a little flap that drops the gate down behind it, and then it can't can't get out, but the only opening in the tube is behind the skunk. So you can open it and just set it out, but the skunk doesn't want to back out of the tube. So you use a little centrifugal force and kind of give it a little bit of a spin and a and a lunge and the and the skunk uh the skunk flies out and lands and goes goes trotting off I don't know
0: this is bringing me back to last week's episode where you were talking about making an air cannon
1: you could do that maybe although although there are holes in the side of the uh, uh of the skunk trap but you could make a sleeve for it that would hold air and then shoot the skunk out that might be a good way to get rid of monster apocalypse
0: yeah skunk cannon is definitely on my list now Tom doesn't know it looks like you he- <laughs>
2: I have nothing to contribute. After after, after the squirrel whacking and, and the skunk slinging, I'm out. I'm out. Thank you.
0: Tom is tagged out. I think uh, I think we, we're out. Well, shaky darn, you did fix it. Ain't that something? I'm not even sure if we did fix Tom's problem, but it's time for short and sweet. Tom, you got anything you want to bring up for the end of the show here?
2: Nah, I got Nothing.
0: Tom's got nothing, Tanda. What about you?
2: Mm, no,
0: nope.
1: this will definitely be short and sweet.
0: Okay, so for me, I want somebody to make a skunk cannon. I need to see that happen. <laughs> Send us pictures, skunk included, smell-o-vision, the whole nine yards. That's it.
1: I'll film it next time if we if we do it again. I think it's getting too cold. I, we haven't caught any in, in a while. But if we if we catch one again, I'll I'll film it and put it on Instagram.
0: I, I will say this. I I don't know about down there, but up here in Pennsylvania. This year, there has been an abundance of skunks, and by abundance, I mean they have been digging up my yard, which they never used to be here, and a friend of the family has caught and released at least 20 skunks. There's been a ton of them, so I don't know if this is like one of the plagues, but they're out there.
1: I think early in the year, there were just less people out and about because of COVID, and I think a lot of animals like coyotes and skunks and stuff kind of became a little more bold because there was less humans out and about
0: that's probably it
1: thank you for listening to
0: this episode of maker skills if you should need more skill information you can find us on instagram at maker.skills you can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com you can find me at pj galati son of the junk hunter on instagram and youtube you can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram, and you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Mm, this was made on the fly. I hope you like it. So as everyone knows, the hot topic out in the news today is the vaccine. i could not going to say which vaccine. You guys know which one I'm talking about. Well, it just so happens Tom Tanda and I tried to make a vaccine a couple years ago. It didn't quite go the way we wanted it to go. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we were thinking about it the wrong way, but we... Tom has a habitual problem losing his tape measures, and Tanda got it into her head that maybe we could make a vaccine against losing a tape measure, and and that's that's where the whole thing started, and 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 then it just just kind of went off the rails from there. I, I mean, Tanda, I, what what was the actual basis? Like, how? Did, why did you think that we could actually do it?
1: Well, I was just kind of generalizing, and you know, like like most vaccines were you know, you have a little bit of an innocuous uh, portion of the vaccine, or maybe a little bit of a, you know, a live virus that you use to help build your antibodies, I thought maybe if we could give Tom just a little bit of something that was a lost tape measure, like a small lost tape measure, like maybe a lost ruler or something, then maybe we could build up his immunity. So I just started mixing up a lot of small measurement devices with some solvents, and it kind of went from there.
0: Now, I should point out here that Tom volunteered to be the test subject since he was the one that kept losing um, all the tape measures. Tom, you you want to describe um, what actually happened?
2: What are you talking about?
0: When you got the vaccine, what y- what happened?
2: He, he He's
1: twitching oh. again, but that's not a side effect. I don't think that's a side effect. I mean, he wasn't doing it before,
2: what-
0: but... He he always twitches. That's normal. Okay. Oh, he's twitching again. Yeah.
2: So I I got I got the vaccine and things were going okay for a while. Uh, and uh, I, just to be safe, I went and got some blood work and and um, apparently this vaccine has a lot of iron in it because my iron counts were way through the roof. Did you use? You know, they usually use deactivated cells to create a. Uh, deactivated virus to create a vaccine we're using like deactivated tape measures to create this is that what happened did you just pump me full of iron well some of them were those little steel rules mm. and i i thought
1: because they had like some scratches on them and because they were really rusty and hard to read that they wouldn't like be an active measuring device anymore and so i figured they were dead i didn't think they would uh you know like that, you'd have any repercussions from it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 practically magnetic at this point. But that's not even the worst side effect. The the first side effect. Oh, that's
1: not a side that's not a side effect. Is that a feature? The fact that the tape measure sticks sticks to you was part of the part of the motivation and part of the goal of you know. So it was kind of two pronged. It wasn't oh. just wasn't just vaccinating your mind against losing the tape. It was also keeping the tape nearby. So it was kind of a you know two pronged approach.
2: Interesting. Okay, that explains a few things.
0: So Tom doesn't really want to come out and say it, but basically there's tape measures stuck to him. But, well, at the time, at the everywhere time.
2: they're everywhere. I can't yeah. get rid of them.
0: Yeah, he was he was like tape measure man. They they were all they were on his forehead. There was one you know on his shoulder. It was one on his nipple. It, they were all over the place. So. This obviously was not the desired effect, and, you know, this is why you have to test vaccines to get them working properly. You can't just, like, give them willy-nilly. And uh, this this led to the second stage of the vaccination, which was to try to get the tape measures off of Tom because he's having trouble sleeping at night.
2: Mm. It's a big problem.
0: I decided to step in. I'm, I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't want to say I'm a vaccine expert, but, I, you know, I, I do have— 20 years in the bioengineering field that I haven't previously talked about and I decided that you know it was time for me to step in and do something because Tanda was handling the bulk of the work and I thought you know I need to reverse this thing before it goes you know really the wrong direction and well I mean we we did get the tape measures off of Tom but but there there were some some side effects Tom Tom do you want to want to tell everybody what happened?
2: Uh yeah. Yeah, this is um I'm gonna be brave. I'm gonna be brave here. But um let's just say I don't I don't actually need tape measures any longer. I'll let PJ elaborate on that. So I
0: used some nanotechnology to help uh, remove all the iron from Tom's system, along with all the other little bits of measuring implements and inadvertently converted his ocular sensors to measuring instruments. So Tom just has to look at something now and he instantly knows what it measures so he doesn't actually need measuring tape anymore because he is measuring tape
2: well he's not measuring tape the worst part is that it's only metric
0: well i would i did go to school in in europe so that i'm sorry that was the only uh, th- everything was in metric over there
2: hey, oh you did this on purpose tom you, p- you selected metric don't worry tom. tom this was an option this was a choice no
0: no I'm i'm telling you my my degree is a metric degree in bioengineering, so I, I can't convert it to inches, because that's how I learned how to do it.
1: I'm working on it on a vaccine to convert from imperial to metric through altering your DNA, so it shouldn't shouldn't be too much longer, and and we'll be able to give you your first dose. Tanda. You're, you're, you're doing
0: it backwards. He doesn't need to go from imperial to metric. He needs to go from metric to imperial. That's completely
1: the opposite thing of what he needs. That's going to be worthless. Oh, man. And I've spent a month on this.
2: Uh, it wouldn't be so bad if I could pick the increment, but everything's in millimeters. Like I said, you got to test these things out. It's a side
0: effect. I mean, it's not really what we were going for. But, you know, I mean, at, at least it's somewhat useful when you, you know, when, when you need small things. So in other words, kids, um, make sure you test your vaccines before you give them out to your friends because you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, sure, they made something. They made it all up.